Uh, welcome to another ski podcast. For many ski resorts, this will be the last week of the season. But annoyingly, it ended some six weeks ago, thanks to that fun sponge, COVID-19. Um, that is unless you're in Norway, where at least one ski, sort, uh, ski resort seems to be opening. Um, but as we're sponsored by Switzerland Tourism, we won't be recommending you go there at all. Um, <laughs> not that you could travel there, I suppose. If we were still able to travel, I'd probably say, you know, I'd probably be going to Switzerland for my final few days on the mountains to some high altitude um, resort like Glacier 2000 or Sasfe. That's probably where I'd be heading right now. But unfortunately, you know, it's the last week of the season, but there is no season going on. Um, I'm, of course, joined by Ian Martin in Brighton. How are you, Ian? I'm very well, Jim. Good. Well, that was concise. Um, personally, I'm sat out on my balcony. I thought I'd bring the listeners some uh, mountain alpine charm to the recording. Yeah, it sounds sounds like you've got a squeaky door at high altitude behind you there, which uh, I presume you can identify that bird song. It's a... Um, robin. Yeah. Okay, the alpine robin. Alpine robin, yeah. Uh, in the background. What you're more likely to hire is the alpine builder who is sneaking to work early. Um, and as the building site's open, the guy next door has just decided that he's going to sand the entirety of his chalet down, which um, is a pleasant sound. Hopefully you won't do that while we're talking now. Um, of course, you can get in touch with the show um, if you're one of those builders um, by finding us on Twitter at The Ski Podcast. You can search Facebook, The Ski Podcast, we're there. You can email jim at theskipodcast.com or ian at theskipodcast.com or find us on our website, which is theskipodcast.com, in case you forget where to find us. Right then, uh, what we've got coming up in today's show, we'll probably talk about that COVID-19 fun spudge. Uh, we'll be uh, talking about stuck beast bashes. We'll be talking about the seedy world of us. An update from Timberline, um, Disability Snow Sports UK have uh, been chatting to me and Ian has been talking to Alex from Courchevel. Um, Ian, I'm bored of confinement, but it isn't about me. Uh, anything positive? Yeah, I mean, I suppose so. I mean, you mentioned Norway uh, opening. There's actually a resort that was open for skiing yesterday in the States called Mount Baldy. Did you see about this one? Yeah, what a sensible idea. The, the country with the biggest growing um, uh, death rates <laughs> and infection rates should start skiing straight away. Uh, yeah, but did you see the rules that they've introduced for uh, for how they're going to do social distancing? Oh, I hope they've, I hope they've stolen un- my idea of putting everyone in those Zorb balls. <laughs> not, not as far as I know, but as far as I can see, it looks like, it says here... They're going to have a check-in uh, of a maximum of four people at 10-minute intervals. So if you're running like a chairlift, presumably that means four people can go up and then you wait 10 minutes and then four people can go up. Um, I presume they're alternating chairs or something like that. So the, the mountain's hardly going to be busy. Is this like, um, like they would uh, do tee-off times at a posh golf course? Well, funnily enough, one of the rationales for them opening is uh, in California, some golf courses have uh, opened as well. So they've uh, decided that uh, they're going to do exactly that same uh, policy. And they reckon, compared to a golf course, which is normally 150 acres, they've got 800 acres of skiing. So they've got you know, more than four or five times the area. And they're going to have um, less than ten percent of the, the kind of uh, uh, the the occupancy on the mountain compared with the golf course. Are they charging more for this? I don't know if they're charging more, but they're definitely charging. Uh, they're getting a lot of um, 
coverage for it. If it's any consolation, listener, I've done um, some research and everyone pretty much slates it as one of the worst resorts in the United States. <laughs> so don't worry, I don't think you're going to be missing out too much. Um, what else is positive? What else is good news in the COVID world? Uh, I've seen a few things over and outdoors. There's a nice story about um, how some of the instructors there have, have been making uh, face masks for uh, key workers um, out of old ESF uniforms. Um, because apparently that, that lining, the wadding within the, uh, the ski suits are exactly what you need. So they've been... Um, They've, they've, they've got a pattern and they've been making them and supplying them to local hospitals. So that's a, that's a good thing. So to protect myself, you're saying all I need to do is go and break into the local ESF office and put an ESF ski jacket on and I'm immune to COVID so I could then go skiing. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure that's what I'm saying, but um, but you can try sure it because I'd be interested to see uh, what, what works out in that respect. I'll put my ESF jacket on, I'll go around the hospital and shake everyone's hand and see if it's all right. And if I end up in hospital mm. later on, then uh, we know it's wrong. Yeah, yeah, probably not. There's a, there's another place over in the States. Um, have you ever heard of Shaggy's Copper, Copper Country Skis? Careful how you say that, Ian. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, well, he's over in the, uh, in the States and obviously he was making skis. Uh, he's in the Michigan uh, area and he's um, uh, uh, segued into making uh, face masks uh, instead. Uh, and he's also dis- uh, uh, distributing them to healthcare uh, workers, which um, I thought was, was pretty cool. You know, lots of people are kind of re- reworking their businesses to try and uh, you know, help out where they can. I mean, I'm not. I'm doing literally nothing to help. The... I'm staying at home. That's the main thing, isn't it? Staying at home, well, you know, each each their own. People who maybe don't have a family to look after as well, or um, who have been unlucky enough to, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe lose their jobs or something. Uh, what about this one? Goggles for docks. Have you seen that at all? Yeah, I have. I mean, what I feel is it's great that people are doing it. It's a bit sad that we've got to do it, and that uh, mm. you know all this wasn't dealt with prior. You know, if things are to believe, it should have been sorted out but it does you know it makes you wonder if 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 it's a useful thing is it people the doctors seem to be grateful for having them from what i can see yeah i mean it's been more successful or it started in the states uh and uh, you know they're putting ski goggles in the hands of healthcare workers uh now there is a way of kind of treating them. And if you go to this website, gogglesfordocs.com in the States, uh, you can find out, you know, where they want them and where you can drop them off, etc. But it doesn't seem to have taken off in the UK as much. And I have a couple of friends who work in A&E uh, who are both skiers in different hospitals around this way. And neither of them seem to think that ski goggles would be any use to them. So I don't know. It's I don't know what the difference between the States and, uh, and the UK is, but it um, might be worth having a look at it, listener. If you have some spare goggles and you, you know, you want to... Have you sent any in, in? To help. Have you sent yours in? No, because, uh, you know, I consulted my friends. He, he said, no, they didn't think it was going to be uh, suitable. Wouldn't it be better to send uh, in... And also... Wouldn't it be better to send in those stupid helmets with the visors on? They're probably more pra- uh, practical. And also it, right. it'll get, it'll get rid of them out. and then no one would have to wear them anymore. Um, it'll be a good use to use up the surplus stock of those. 
Yeah, those ones where the visors are integral to the helmet themselves. Is that what you mean? Yeah, those those things. Yeah. Also, wouldn't, yeah, well, wouldn't it be a bit could, weird? Maybe they could dry them. Wouldn't it be a bit weird if you've got like um, the mirrored goggles and you're sat there having your operation and then you can see what's <laughs> going on? Surely that would be quite off-putting. <laughs> and what if you get one of those annoying doctors who fiddle with their lenses and is like halfway through, it's like, I've got to change the lenses because the light has changed. I've got to do that immediately. <laughs> or if they've got a scratch. It's, I think, it, you know, maybe potentially it's a worry, really. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a feeling there are some directives over the type of lenses they need, but I like that idea of the uh, of the person changing them midway. While we're talking about COVID, and I think it's interesting how um, uh, ABTA have jumped on the bandwagon of what we've been talking about, and they've literally written to everyone. I think they might have even quoted the ski podcast in saying, you know, please, <laughs> yeah, please right. try and support your tour operator. I mean, they've turned around, yeah. they said to the tour operators, we really think you should refund the money because that is our policy. But at the same point, they've gone and written to all the people um, individually to say, really, really try and support the industry. So it's quite a confusing time. It is. I mean, I did notice that um, after Dave uh, Froome was on, uh, I think it was our, our previous podcast and talking about, you know, the situation for refunds, etc. There was a bit of debate on our uh, social media about that and about, you know the right uh the right approach and you know some people think that they've been stitched up by the travel industry and other people think that uh you know we should be doing all like all we can to try and support them yeah confusing times confusing times i think one thing for certain we can all agree on the best way to um, push through is to start beaming flags onto a giant mountain <laughs> uh, together hope etc you are referring to that iconic mountain um which uh it copied its uh shape off the toblerone box right yeah 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 i'm i'm pretty sure it's still in the midst of a giant lawsuit about that actually it's the matterhorn in in zermatt they uh for the last i don't know three weeks now maybe more they've been projecting images every evening uh between uh dusk and 11pm I think onto the uh, Matterhorn and I noticed it took them at least 12-13 days before they got a Union Jack on there. Longer before they got the Ski Podcast logo as well I believe <laughs> yeah, That would be good well, Just my, <laughs> just my face would be quite good that would be hope for Jim yeah. Duncan But do you, not think, do you not think there's a bit of you know if you put you know the British flag or the US flag or Spain or Italy or all of these countries or messages like hope or uh, together, do you not think that demonstrates some solidarity across uh, across the, the world of skiing and snow sports or across the world in general? Yeah, I think it's a nice thing to do. I'm not, I'm not anti it. I don't think it's going to cure it. But yeah, it's um, definitely it's a nice thing to do. And I think it's... Hey, I heard I heard Donald Trump has suggested that could be a cure for coronavirus. What, projecting stuff into people's faces? Projecting the US flag onto uh, famous mountains around the world. Really? Wow. <laughs> he is definitely a scientist. I can guarantee that. Um, yeah, I think it's a nice thing to do. Um, I'd like to see uh, maybe England return the favour. Are they doing that? Are they were projecting anything onto Ben Nevis? No, but I did see definitely not the Swiss flag uh, for sure. In 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 Val d'Isère, I haven't actually done anything with this. I think it's a Dick Yates Smith who uh, owns YSE. Um, he projected. Uh, yeah, here it is. I just found it. This is a uh, real on the fly. 
he projected something into onto a building in Val d'Isere and it has it's a, a maybe a bit like the old grey whistle test do you ever I mean that's a long time ago it's got someone kicking like a coronavirus uh, cell and it says let's kick its ass that's that's Valdez Air's response to uh, you know Zermatt projecting uh, countries and messages of uh, hope together. I'll send a, I'll stick it in the show notes and I'll uh, tweet it. Good stuff. Um, some other good news, Ian, is um, the Trading Post, which is um, a supplier in Borg Saint Maurice, um, yes. who um, you know they do things like provide um, bacon and uh, marmite and you know those those vital things that as an english person yeah. living abroad you kind of do crave and um, he started doing free deliveries um, and is including look so um a positive story there once again it's all about me That's this really coronavirus I, I i i who who owns that business who runs that business oh, i can't remember his name now it's not, I, it's not know... who you think oh okay it's not who i think all right i'll take your word for that <laughs> It might be. I don't know. Um, he's, Zermatt, he's delivering right? today. So, Maybe I'll see if I can get like a long. I'll make a really long stick on my microphone and interview him and find out <laughs> what it's like travelling around empty ski resorts. Actually, I listened to another another podcast that I uh, listened to. <clears throat> Someone was explaining uh, how she had to apologise for the sound quality because she had literally done that. She'd rigged up her mic on a long stick so that she could observe social distancing and still interview someone. And in fact, one of the great things. No, one of the great things, I'm going to rephrase that. Something that is good about uh, this whole uh, world we're living in at the moment is all of these other podcasts that I listen to, I don't know if you listen to many, they're, you know, they're normally in a studio, they've got amazing sound equipment, etc. And they're having to do what we do, which is to record remotely using you know, different apps. And uh, they've all been brought down to uh, our level. And now we're competing on a level playing field. That's good to know. Um... <laughs> Um, also, here's another thing I'm interested in, is that um, it seems like Dominic Cummings has got his hands on um, the ski industry and has forced someone out of a job early. And I think he's lining up um, Richie Sunak. Uh, is that his name? Ricky, uh, Richie Sunak. Richie Sunak to take over the ski club um, uh, ah, in the future. Right. I think that's what's going on. Do you think that might be the case? Right, you've picked him because he's the Chancellor or something, and also because they're a financial basket case, is that what you mean? Um, yeah, that and the, the Chancellor of the Exchequer seems to get replaced quite regularly at the moment. Right, OK. Just, OK, yes, yeah, like Ski Club. Why does no one want the that ski job? Club. No, uh, well, I think they swapped chairman back in January. The uh, original chairman resigned then, and then this guy, uh, Ian Holt, started as CEO back in September, and he has now left. And, you know, I think maybe he might have wanted the job, but um, he was treasurer prior to that. And we reported on this in a previous episode of the podcast. I'll have to look up when it was. But, um, you know, they burn through huge amounts of uh, money. And I think it's related to that. All oh, right. He's just been spending loads of money. Uh, well, maybe responsible uh, or in charge at a time when the uh, the ski club uh, burnt through a lot. I think that's probably as he was treasurer prior to becoming CEO. It's uh, it was related to that. Do you think if you were a ski club member, you'd prefer to have um, ski guides in every resort and um, 
good insurance as part of your membership or would you rather have your money spent on glossy videos of people making tarty flat? I quite like the glossy videos of Tartiflet idea. Oh, right. Interesting. But you're not a member, right? No. <laughs> and that's obviously one of the problems. You know, not many uh, uh, people are or fewer uh, people are. But if you recall um, from when we did discuss it before, they spent a massive amount of money uh, on web development, far bigger than um, anything we could possibly imagine for any project. Oh, yeah, and then they didn't launch the website, or was that someone else? Well, that was someone else I was talking to. Yeah, can't, can't recall that one. But either way, there's a job available there. If someone wants to take over the CEO uh, of uh, the ski club in a challenging environment. And I'm going to recommend that um, whoever takes over um, and they need a bit of downtime, they might want to head to Aspen um, for some recreational relief. Got anything? Got any thoughts on that, Ian? Got all the links today, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I like the way I see what you've done there. Yeah, you know, Jason Auslander, who works for the uh, Aspen Times, I talked to him about Derek Johnson, the notorious ski thief who we covered in uh, our previous uh, episode. Uh, I think that was episode 52. He also told me, because his beat in uh, Aspen is crime um, and quite a lot of the other crime is about drugs over there. So he told me about it. Right, I'm with uh, uh, Jason Auslander from uh, the Aspen Times. You might recall we talked about uh, Derek Johnson and his uh, embezzlement from uh, the Aspen Ski Company. Uh, and um, Jason told us that, uh, you know, on the crime desk, you often embezzlement is not uncommon in, in the town. But the other story uh, that does tend to cross his desk from time to time is, you know, cocaine, cocaine abuse, etc. I wondered, um, you know, how, how yeah, is, that, is it common in, in Aspen, Jason? Yeah, cocaine is very common here. It's a, you know, this is known as a party town, lots of rich people. It's, you know, kind of a rich people drug. So it's, it definitely pops up quite often. And it's, you know, people doing cocaine and doing stupid things that, that, that make them make the paper, frankly, is, is right. happens frequently. Okay, so um, it impairs their decision making. Is that what you're saying? They take the, the wrong ski run or something or? Um, no, usually in town at night when, you know, they're done skiing and they've been partying for a while and, and, uh, they get confronted by police in one way or another. Um, you know, there's a, a pretty good story about a guy. This was, this was a few years ago at this right. point. I've been here about four and a half years and it was soon after I got here, but there was a guy that was sitting on, uh, an outside bench like outside on the street. And he was across from a, a pretty well-known locals hangout here that has since closed, but he was there and he was uh, using a credit card or whatever to chop a line of cocaine okay. on this stone bench or whatever. And uh, the cops came up behind him and were like, Hey man, what are you doing? <laughs> and he looks up at him and he wipes the cocaine with his hand onto the ground. And he says, nothing, nothing officer. I'm not doing anything. And the officer says, well, stand up. And he says, tilt your head back. And he looks up this guy's nose and he says, well, what's all that white stuff up there? And the guy looks at him and says, yeah, it's cocaine, officer. Of course it's cocaine. It's Aspen. That, right. That's, so, a, that's his justification. <laughs> so, and so, of course, I see that in a police report and I'm like, oh, well, you know, how can I resist that? As a reporter, that's that's 
you know, it's a, it's a great, it's a great headline. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote just a, t- a pretty short little story about it and it went across the world just right. by okay. crazy. And okay. this guy, this guy had a really, uh, distinctive name so like his family saw it and 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 he was in a whole world of hurt for quite a while and i heard about it when he was sentenced and you know the judge said the media sort of made this a lot worse than it needed to be and that sort of thing but the good the kind of good the the happy ending to this whole story is that not that long ago i ran into a cop that i know and we were talking about this very story and he said hey man you know i ran into that guy not too long ago and he said that was the best thing that ever happened to me because now I'm mm-hmm. I quit alcohol, I've quit cocaine, oh, okay. my life is I got my life back together. So <laughs> I mean, you never know. Okay, well, I, you know, I quickly googled that while we're talking, and I can see that it's like, yeah, it's been reported uh, everywhere. Yeah, got a lot of a lot of reach uh, from that. I one. mean, I've got I got a ton of funny stories about this. One time, um, I had a, some guy friend me on Facebook, and said, Hey man, can you, can you get me some cocaine? And I was like, what? (laughs) What are you talking about? And he said, he said, well, I Googled your name and cocaine or I Googled your name. I know I Googled Aspen and cocaine and your name came up a bunch of times. (laughs) So I thought maybe you could get me some. And I was like, yeah, no, no. That, that, That really proves sadly that people don't really pay any attention to anything they read on the internet. Oh, <laughs> well, maybe, it. maybe they don't if they're trying to, uh, to score drugs. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess everybody wanted it. But then the third, the third story that comes to mind is this was a while ago too, but this one appeared on the front page of the New York daily news and crashed our website, believe it or not at the, at the company that owns this newspaper. But so there was a guy from Saudi Arabia and he was in a, a cab here late at night or sometime at night. And he kept offering, like, he kept offering the cab driver cocaine. And the cab driver's like some 60-year-old man is like, no, man, I don't, I don't want any cocaine. I'm good. Like, and this guy, this Saudi guy, kept kind of pushing the cocaine on this dude, pushing him, pushing him, pushing him until like he like spilled some on the guy's jacket or something like that. And then so the guy like somehow ends up calling the police or something and um, the guy gets taken away and starts cursing Americans and, and cursing America and all of this. And so, again, I read this in a, a police report and I'm like, well, again, I can't resist that. And I write the story about it and whoosh, the New York Daily News picks it up and literally tens of thousands of people are clicking on the story. It was wild. Right. Yeah. Well, you've, well, I tell you what, appearing on the ski podcast might not necessarily be your next uh, viral story, but we'll, we'll do our best to, uh, to share them all. I've really, really enjoyed uh, chatting with you, Jason. It's brilliant. Um, enjoy, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for joining us uh, quite early in the morning for you and late in the day for us. And um, yeah, I'll be, I'll be tuning in to see what your next viral story is. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. Anybody interested, go to aspentimes.com. Oh, the man is setting up. Welcome back. Um, after that interview, the man is setting up to, looks like he might be in some sanding. I might be rushing inside any minute, Ian. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, is it a surprise um, that that man's going to do that? Also, is it a surprise that the use of cake, uh, cocaine is prevalent in a ski resort, a place that notably attracts middle class, fairly wealthy, you know, um, people with expendable incomes looking for a good time? 
Uh, I don't know. I mean, I did a few seasons and personally, I never came across any, but they might have been flying around. Maybe I was in the wrong resorts or hanging out with the wrong people. Um, I don't know. If you look for it, I'm sure it's there. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you should do that. I think, it, as he says, it's a feature of Aspen. Is it? It's not in the brochure, though, is it? It's, I looked on the website and I couldn't see it in the <laughs> events page or there was no special blog about it. <laughs> No, no. Although that that art, you know, incident that he mentioned, you know, got massive coverage, uh, you know, all over the all over the world. So you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity, is there? Do you think they do things like they do at, um, music festivals? They set up like a special tele cabin where you can get in and have it tested to make sure you're buying um, stuff that is safe to take. No. All right. Time to move on on that one, I think. Yeah, let's go to a place, um, a drug-free ski resort called Timberline uh, Four Seasons Resort. I mean, maybe you can get cocaine there. I don't know. Um, I've never been to either of them. Um, but you'll recall back in a, a past episode that Ian will probably stick in the show notes and may even know what number it was. Um, uh, my friend uh, John Sherwood came on and told us all about the trials and tribulations, and he's been updating us since. And here is another update, and nicely, he's tagged a little review on on the end. Hello, Jim and Ian. John Sherwood here with some good news to report about Timberline Mountain. Timberline was recently purchased by a man named Chip Perfect. Mr. Perfect owns a number of businesses in the great state of Indiana, including Perfect North Slopes, which is a very successful regional ski resort. He has big, big plans for our mountain. First and foremost, he plans to install two new lifts. One will be a fixed grip quad that will run just from the base just above the midstation and the other I am absolutely thrilled to report will be a high speed detachable six person lift running from the bottom to the top and now finally instead of having to sit for 12 minutes on the lift during those cold January days We'll be able to be we'll be able to ride from bottom to top in less than six minutes. Mr. Perfect also has big plans for snowmaking. He wants to imp- to greatly improve the snowmaking capacity for the resort, getting more slopes open early in the season, so we can take advantage of the Christmas to New Year's market. This is a very very important step in the right direction. And uh, I'm sure more and more will happen with the resort as time goes by. So far, no negative uh, impact from the COVID-19 virus. And no news yet about what type of pass the new resort will sell and whether this pass will be allied with either the Epic or the Icon Pass, which are the two big multi-resort passes in the United States. Well, that's all I've got. I love the podcast. Appreciate all that you guys do. Thank you. Um, what a name of a person, Ian, to save a ski resort. Chip Perfect. <laughs> that is the man who's stepping in to save Timberline Ski Resort, putting a few new lists. What a name, eh? Chip is Perfect. It- yeah, is that um, nominative determinism? He's uh, the perfect person for the job, and therefore going to sell chips. He's yeah. It was it was episode thirty eight, by the way. 
Um, oh, there you are. about that, uh, the original Timberline uh, story. And uh, we should, I, I just happened to uh, stick it in the show notes as well, but um, previously it was uh, episode 44 when we covered the uh, the ski club spending £344,000 on their uh, website. Well, nice one, Stato. Um, let's, um, <laughs> let's do some reviews, shall we? Uh, right, there's lots of them, aren't there? Do you want to start? Yeah, um, just to be clear, I haven't got a computer in front of me. I'm doing this live on a phone. So um, I've only got a few things written down, um, so I won't be able to okay. do everything. But, um, I'll fill in the gaps. I'll go for Daniel King. He says, uh, great work, guys. Your podcasts are great. Keep up the good work. There you go. Thanks. Cool. That's, uh, that's good. Uh, Paul Gilpin contacted us on Facebook and said it was an excellent podcast. So thank you very much for that, Paul. Um, Leon um, says, thanks for the podcast. Keep things Keeping things moving during these WSIRHC. No, that's the next line. <laughs> Keeping these things moving these days. W S I R H C. Someone, someone's stupid on, username. On, oh, no, hang on. on sn- I don't want to start another fight with a snowhead. Let's get that clear. That's no. a great username. On, on snowheads, hey, you can't knock his name because he said it's a great podcast and it keeps me going during the long summer months, <laughs> which um, even probably even more relevant, you know, these days. Um, so all feedback is welcome and uh, particularly uh, we got quite a few uh, followers on the Snowheads forum so I appreciate that and there's one here I got from Pablo Rodriguez um, he says hey thanks for your um, thanks thank you for your week I always listen to the podcast um, I, I'm sure it's me reading that wrong uh, I noticed that most of the ski resorts in Europe and America maybe we could hear a bit more when the conditions are great in Scotland especially with the potential travel restrictions in the future we can promote more British skiing um, also skiing in Spain is great Pyrenees Sierra Nevada Northwest Spain great ski touring uh, just thought I'd drop you some ideas um, I think you rightly replied to him said Ian we do cover all those things just not as extensively um, but uh, thanks for your Thanks for your review. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to, believe it or not, I'm hoping to go to Scotland and ski next year. What do you think of that? Do you think I'm uh, getting a bit carried away? No, no, I would. I'm, if I hadn't have moved to the Alps, I was going to try and do a bit more um, Scottish skiing, but um, I don't think there's any need to do that right now. I quite like the idea that I could, you know, go up there by train without uh, flying. But uh, I have a feeling that you know you've got to time it right so that you know there's going to be, you know there's going to be decent snow there. Yeah, well that's handy because um, last minute um, train tickets in the UK are super cheap, Ian. So you can just uh, nip up there whenever you like. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, we had another review on iTunes uh, by I don't know Chunky YH. Could that no Chunky H? That uh, this is a five star review. Thanks. Uh, this is a great listen to enjoy all things skiing, learn more and enjoy skiing even when you're not on the slopes. I'm also a former ski rep. Uh-huh. Chunky H, so are we. And it reminds me of those good times in the ski industry before I made the mistake of getting a proper job. Ha-ha, uh-huh. keep up the good work, guys. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yeah, we love uh, a bit of a uh, chat with previous season workers. Oh, there's a blue tit next to me um, making a nest. I can see he's got some stuff in his house, yeah. in his beak. Um, uh, it may, might, might not be a blue tit. I have no idea about birds. Um, I think we should say to Chunky H that um, being a ski rep is a proper job and you've just let yourself down, really, um, by getting one of these fake jobs that um, people talk about where you have to go to work every day. 
Yeah, that is a punter question, isn't it? When are you going to get a proper job or what's your real job? Yeah, I'm doing a pretty good job. You've got on a bus. I've got you a ski pass. You know, job done. Tick. Well done, us. Yeah. I've got no uh, more you know, we had a competition. Yeah, we had a competition for reviews. Um, if you left us a review on iTunes, you could stand a chance of winning a really big uh, bag of stash that I've been gathering uh, uh, for a while. Oh, I did know that. And we've, that, I won. that competition has come to a close. And we have a winner. It's me. And it's someone. I did it. I did it at random. I went to one of those, um, you know, websites where you can call up a uh, random number. So, genuinely uh, honest uh, feature. Oh, and so not like the good old days, Ian, when you used to just give it to whoever you liked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was G J Harvey. But the thing is, because they gave us a review on um, iTunes, I don't have their email address. So. Uh, GJ Harvey, hopefully, if you gave us a review, you listen to every episode anyway. So you're listening to this right now, and I'm telling you in your ears that you've won this competition. So drop us an email with your uh, address, and we'll we'll send it out to you. Hopefully, you don't live in Argentina or anything like that. You know, ideally, I'd just drop it around somewhere in Brighton because it's a pretty big bang. It's probably going to cost quite a lot of money to send. Oh, so what you're saying, Ian, is that um, we've actually picked any someone who's lived in Brighton. So it's not been that random. You've just gone, the only person that can win is in Brighton. No, no, no. I, I have no idea where they live. It would be ideal if they were, uh, were nearby, but I'm not into, I don't think they are. Well, I mean, I have no idea where they live. What was his review? But hopefully, hopefully, GJ uh, Harvey, you will uh, tell us. And what was his review? What did he say? His or her review. Um, yeah, don't know the answer to that. I think we read it out in the last pod. GJ uh, Harvey, if you love snowboard skiing or generally having fun in ski resorts, this is a podcast for you. It's a perfect mix of light-hearted conversation discussing everything from resort reviews and not just the big ones you've all heard of. I think that's a nod to lots of those Swiss resorts you've been to, Jim. Uh, latest ski news and equipment reviews. Ski poles that double up as hip flasks, anybody? Well, that was an old episode. Yeah, so they've listened to GJ I'm pretty sure we'll be hearing this right now, getting very excited about all the things that they're going to win. Yep, she'll be hearing this whenever she listens. That's right. Um, He or she. There we go. Well done, Gina G. Harvey. Gina J, maybe. Gary George. Gary James. My name's James Gary. Gary James is my... Maybe it's my dad. Right. um, (laughs) Who knows? What's next uh, on the agenda? Um, uh, uh, oh. I think, did you not do an interview with Mark from uh, Disability Snow Sports UK? Yep, I did. Uh, how about we just drop that in while I think about what's next? Mark, Kelvin, welcome to the podcast. You are the CEO of Disability Snow Sports UK, or some people call it DSUK. Yeah. Um, we've, I think we've spoken to someone from your organisation in the past uh, about what they do up at the Snow Zone, uh, so the Chill Factory in Manchester. Yeah. Um, just briefly remind us, what is your charity about? What does it do? Uh, so we've been established for well over 40 years now. And we started off just on Cairngorm Mountain in Scotland, uh, working with a small part of the population, specifically young people with cerebral palsy, uh, who people health benefits of skiing um, and the impact that has on muscles and strength. Um, and since then, we, we've grown massively to work with anybody, regardless of experience, uh, injury or disability. We operate seven snow sports schools in the UK and run holidays to the mountains in the winter as well. 
So tell me, like, um, if someone comes to you and or do you, do you choose people? Do they come to you and want to in experience snow sport, and you have to work out how you can best assist them based on the disability? What's what's the journey that someone would go through in 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 uh, Disability Snow Sports UK? It's funny, really, because I only came into the organisation a couple of years ago, and I spent at least ten years working in human rights and the rights of disabled people, particularly around accessing thrill and joy. Uh, so a lot of charities that exist uh, in the UK are about keeping disabled people safe and providing a really good quality of life. Um, but it's still quite difficult to find charities like ourselves that will encourage risk um, and you know, train people to throw themselves down the side of a mountain. Um, so even though we've been established for so long, a lot of people still don't know we exist. And our main route to one of our ski schools is word of mouth or uh, search engines. Uh, people come on our holidays after finding us on Google. So one of our challenges at the minute is trying to reach uh, most disabled people in the UK so that they know who we are um, and how they can benefit from snow sport. Interesting, because I've noticed even here where I am in uh, La Clusa, that there has been a huge increase in the last few years in disabled people accessing the snow. And there's definitely more groups of, not groups of people, but um, instructors who are taking people out in the, what's the correct term for the snow chairs? Uh, yeah, so they can be, we call them sit skis. You can have bike skis with... Sit skis, that's it. Yeah, or the, the mono skis where people tend to have the, the hand riggers as well and shred on their own. Well, I mean, it's impressive stuff. And that's kind of what you encourage people to go go and do. Take them out of their comfort zone and show them everyone that, you know, you can go and enjoy yourself and have lots of fun. Is that the kind of philosophy? It is. So for some people, it's just about fun. And we at the SUK will always work towards the individual's outcome. Uh, so some people just want to go have fun, have a laugh and enjoy the app right after. Um, other people have got a specific goal in mind. So they might be working... Um, on a, a dual ski, so a sit ski with two skis on the bottom, um, that you might see some people tethered or being tackled uh, with an instructor kind of behind them, controlling their speed and um, helping them not tip too far so they don't fall over. Um, and then there's people who work towards becoming completely independent on the slopes as well. Usually you'll see those people skiing in a mono ski uh, if they're sitting down skiing, that is. Uh, so single ski on the bottom, two small skis in their hands, um, and manage the chairlifts on their own, uh, manage the mountain completely by themselves. Um, and that's about health, uh, social health, physical health benefits, mental health benefits, as well as just social inclusion um, and that right to risk. I like that, a right to risk. Um, I enjoy that. Um, so can I ask, so if um, people um, uh, donate money, what does it get spent on? Um, is it spent on trips or is it spent on equipment, instructors, or is it all those things combined? It's it's almost all of those things combined. So one of the, the challenges that we have at the moment, um, particularly with COVID, is everybody is being asked to donate to, to charities. Um, and DSUK, not a lot of people know about us. A lot of the general public still see snow sport as quite um, a luxury activity. It's not something that people have to do. Um, they don't understand necessarily the benefits that come with that, particularly for disabled people. Um, but we're at a, a really unusual time now where for the first time, a lot of the public is starting to experience what it's like to be limited and trapped by your environment or think about leaving the house and experiencing that anxiety 
for the first time. And the reality is for a lot of our skiers and snowboarders, that's their life, either since they became injured or became disabled, or if they were born with a disability, um, that's what they've experienced for the whole of their life. So we're trying to take this opportunity to help people connect with that reality and then oppose that with the freedom that they feel when they're on the mountain and that self-belief that they experience when they start to learn to ski or snowboard um, and connect with people who already understand that benefit to say to them, look, we know everybody's asking you for your money at the moment, but the reality is for a snow sports charity, we're always going to be coming last after children's charities, cancer charities, heroes, animals. That's what the British public generally relate to. So if you are one of the few people that relate to snow sport, please consider in giving to our appeal. Um, because we're incredibly efficient. Um, it's very expensive to uh, train the specialized instructors to buy that specialist equipment that might be required. Uh, we run incredibly efficiently, uh, which explains, even though we're so old, uh, we don't have the cash reserves to see us through this crisis as much as we would in an ideal world. Um, so it is an expensive thing to do, uh, is a challenge, but it's so important that people who are able to and who get snow sports kind of supporters at the moment. So, you know, maybe those people who um, did get a refund on their April ski holiday, yeah. could, um, you know, donate some of that um, uh, to DSUK. That would be nice of them, wouldn't it? Well, it would be incredible because it, so our, our challenge is, can we reach lots of people to give a little? So uh, this season, one and a half million people in the UK intended to go to the mountains. If all of those people gave us even just 50p, two pounds, um, it would completely transform what we can do as a charity. Um, and I think about people like Graham, who we ski with in Glasgow, a young lad who had a road traffic accident on a motorbike, um, who talks about like when he's skiing, it's the only thing he's thinking about. He's not thinking about his traumatic experience, how he's not experiencing the life that he thought he would have um, before he became disabled from the sternum down. Um, he just forgets about everything. He calls it bliss. Um, and if you do get the opportunity to ski with somebody who's disabled, absolutely get out there and do it. Ask them their story uh, because it's so powerful. It's not niche. It's not luxury. It's transformational. And I'd go so far, I know it's cliche, but I would say it's, it's magical. It's incredible what we do. Um, and we just need people to help us survive this period so we can get, get through it and keep doing it. Absolutely. And how can we donate? Um, so the easiest way is our website, disabilitysnowsport.org.uk, um, and click on donate there. Um, or you can go to our Just Giving Urgent Appeal page, which is justgiving.com forward slash campaign forward slash DSUK. Uh, there we go. I mean, uh, back to coronavirus, really. In um, uh, It's tricky times for charities as well. People are donating less unless you're an NHS charity. I guess that makes sense. Um, you know, everyone's being uh, being challenged in this environment. I mean, I've got a friend who works for a, uh, a hospice and, you know, they get most of their money from their shops, you know, uh, charity shops. And, you know, those shops have all been closed for ages and they are having a, you know, come up. Unfortunately, they've got some cash reserves, but, um, you know, a hospice is, is, is not NHS in that instance, although they get funding for the NHS. So, yes, difficult for, uh, for, for everyone. So I think what Mark is trying to say, if you do want to do some fundraising, 
then you could do it for Disability Snow Sports UK, which I mean, I'm fully into. I think it's a great charity. Really, re I really buy into it. Um, what I don't buy into, Ian, is I'm not sure. How do you feel about people choosing what they do to raise money for charity? Uh, how do you mean? I don't. Well, you know, um, surely, surely, it's sort of often people. Um, choosing to do something because they want to do it like climb Kilimanjaro and sponsor me I'm not sure people <laughs> should be allowed to just choose what they um, what they do to raise money because I think if you're gonna if you want to do this sponsor thing and raise money I think it should be something that really challenges you and other people should have to pick what you do to raise the money uh, yeah no I, I kind of I'm, a, I'm, I'm with you on that I've certainly had a few um I remember getting a request from the son of a friend of mine. I don't think he's a listener to the pod, but he, you know, he's like, please, can you sponsor me to go to Guatemala and do whatever I'm going to be doing down there? And I kind of thought, it's just a holiday, you know. Yeah. That's like, how should I subsidise your holiday to Central America? You know, I'd love to go there myself. Yeah, if you really cared about um, the charity, give the money that it would cost you to go to Guatemala to the charity and they'd probably get more money than the sponsorship you'll raise however you know if you turned around to me and said oh well, you sponsor me but you get to choose what i do i'd be like yes are you scared of spiders yes right well i know what i'm going to choose are you quite overweight yes <laughs> then i think you should probably run a marathon you know i think we should get to choose what people um do for their for their to raise money but anyway that's my opinion let's um Let's find out about someone else. Who's got another opinion? Someone in Courchevel, I reckon, probably uh, has a lot to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's nothing to do with uh, uh, fundraising or charity or anything. But Alex Irwin, a uh, friend of the show and sadly recovering from a uh, broken leg at the moment, which is um, means that it getting, well, uh, I guess uh, uh, isolation and not going out is probably easier for him. I'm, I know he's a regular listener. But I was out in Courchevel earlier this winter and he runs a YouTube channel called um, 150 Days of Winter. And uh, he's been doing it for quite a while, so I thought I'd ask him about it. So we're back here again uh, in Cours Cheval, 1850 in the sunshine, uh, just around the corner from Valentino and Christian Dior with Alex Irwin. And um, Alex runs a channel called 150 Days of Winter on YouTube. I'm really interested in what prompted you to kind of start it and uh, where you get your ideas from and things. I guess the fact that I don't do a lot of things in resource, I have a lot of free time. Hmm. Uh, and I, in the same way that podcasts became such a big thing at the moment, yeah. YouTube over the last, let's say, seven years has become not just for cat videos, <laughs> but for people making little like videos vlogs if you like for sure of, of their life how, how long have you been doing 150 days of winter this is my fourth year fourth year because it was initially just a project to see if you could do a video every day during the course of okay, the winter so, yeah, there, there is the I, I guess the king of the vlogs is a man who used to live in new york called casey neistat right and he managed to do a vlog for about 500 days wow, okay. before he got and said, this is becoming silly. Yeah. I, I, but with that, with forcing to do something every single day yeah. was instead of again saying, oh, maybe I'll do something next week. Maybe I'll, it was like, no, let's go and do this. Let's go and do that. Yeah, great. It, for, I went ice diving, I, which I have never been diving yeah. and I've never been. And to go under the ice was like, and 
I went ski touring for the first time and just one of many things where I was just like, I need to make content. And, with, and you know, with so much content to, to create, yeah. how do you come up with ideas? I mean, this is the fourth year. Like, where are you looking for new things to uh, do now? These things just come out, I'm going to say come out the air, whether it's buried by a buried for avalanche training yeah. or just like, if I can find, we did a, a group of us went ski touring for to raise awareness on climate change. Yes, I saw that was a thing across lots of different resorts. Exactly. It? And again, uh, I love ski touring. I've caught the bug. Yeah. Yeah. I, I maybe wasn't feeling brilliant that day, but I did it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and when you do it, when you do anything with a group of friends, it, it's ten times better. Yeah. Uh, and it's just one of those things of like, if I've done it before. I want to try and do it better okay. this time. You've had a few kind of uh, drinking-related uh, uh, or alcohol-related uh, videos. I think where people have been testing different alcohols or comparing. Them. We still That's the fun side. That's yeah. the silly, the fun side. Yeah. In the fact that when I first started doing seasons, getting drunk, there was no internet. And so getting drunk was part of, let's say, doing a season. Right. right? Nowadays, everybody ha has to be a bit more, like, aware of having their picture taken or anything like that. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the French Alps, the French love to make alcohol. Yeah. They, uh, and getting people's genuine reactions to Genepi or, or any, any other alcohol yeah. is... It's just brilliant. You know, yeah. I'm not. I, I was never the first to do it. You yeah. Know, uh, it's very much like they're, they're they're good. I enjoy those. You mentioned Genepi. One of the ones I really uh, it was a series, I guess, was when you made your own Genepi and you kind of you know you tr fo we followed it over yeah. a period of time, didn't uh, we? Three years ago, I made Genepi. Two years ago, I made limoncello. <laughs> a friend of mine bought me back some lemons from the Amalfi Coast. Right. Uh, and this year I've just made some uh, Mertille Creme de Mertille. Okay. Uh, which again grow in Courchevel. So if you're in if you're in Courchevel 1850, making your own alcohol is a, is a way to uh, make everything affordable. The only <laughs> uh, the only downside is the the, the alcohol you, the base alcohol. Yeah. You can't buy that in France. Yeah. Uh, so, but with the internet, it's a very, you can purchase oh, okay. it. Okay, because when I went to Les Des Alpes a few years ago in the summer, and I was talking to one of the bar owners there, had his own Genepi, and everyone, you know, you go to all of the bars oh, here, exactly. they've all got their own Genepi, which they want you to have a go at at the end of the meal. But he was saying to me they used to drive to Italy to yes. get the 100% pure alcohol, uh, which you then uh, mix together. That's the crazy thing of you literally, you just go across the border, yeah. and I, I get my stuff from Poland. Right, okay. Uh, but literally in Italy, you buy it in bottles that look like Coke bottles, yeah. and it's 98%. So these are just some of the things you can see on 150 uh, days of winter with ice diving and being buried in the snow, etc. Just et everything, you know. How many, how many subscribers uh, do you, do you have? We are, we are, I would like to think, on our way to 1,000. Right, okay, yeah, uh, that's good, I think. Which is, but... With every video, the feedback that I get from people who watch it yeah. is worth more than the subscribers. And you, and you probably find as well, like us with the podcast, is that, you know, because they're there, they're there forever, and people are, like, looking at the old ones and, you know, they're coming across them and making comments on them, etc. And there are, there are always videos that, for, some, for whatever reason, get more engagement than other yeah. ones. Uh, 
and there are some that you put an awful lot of effort <laughs> into and no one watches them. Yeah. And there are other ones that are like, I'm doing something really silly yeah. and thinking that no one's ever going to watch them. And all of a sudden you look and you're like, thousand people have watched that. Yeah. What's going on? There's no, there's no um, uh, accounting for uh, the public, is there? There's well, no. a- Alex, um, uh, it's a 150dow.com. Is that right? No, it's... Uh, oh. If you go onto YouTube yeah. and just search for... Oh, YouTube, days, 150 Days of Winter. 150 Days of Winter. Right. And, and you will find uh, But on social, 150DOW. Uh, on Facebook, again, if you type in... Uh, in yeah. On Instagram, it's 150DOW. Yeah. Instagram, 150 okay. Days of... Yeah. So people can, can follow you and subscribe and, uh, and all the best for the rest of this winter then, Alex. I would hope that some of your uh, listeners go and subscribe. <laughs> that would be much appreciated. Uh, <laughs> As always, yes. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, well, um, uh, I've, I've watched a few of them. I definitely remember the, the Lemon Cello episode. Um, I do hope his leg <laughs> gets better because um, it seems to me that YouTube is a quite a popular um, uh, source of contestants for Strictly Come Dancing, so he could be in with a shot of that. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, good luck to him. He's got 719 subscribers, so if you want to... Get regular updates uh, from Courcheval. You could subscribe. I believe that um, if he gets over a thousand, he becomes uh, technically an influencer. Over a thousand, you're become an influencer. Wow. Um, have you actually been on his channel, or have you just interviewed him? No, I don't think I've featured on it, as far as I know. Although he has been sharing photos recently uh, over the years. Uh, from Courcheval staff, and there's a few which cropped up from uh, when I was uh, doing natives parties, you know, probably, uh, well, I'm not entirely sure how many years ago now, uh, you know, coming on for uh, 15 to 20 years ago, um, and that was quite entertaining for me anyway to uh, to look at a few of those. Yeah, I keep um, waiting for one to pop up in me, which I, I don't think I really knew Alex back then, but you never know, that I could just be in the background looking a bit... Um, uh, drunk or um probably got a hat on made out of um parcel tape in a fancy dress trying to be indiana jones that's the one i think might um appear there's also i keep thinking about this photo um as he's putting up i know he hasn't got this one but um there was a night when all of us were playing a a dare game and you know um, it got to the point where do you remember there's a really posh nightclub in um called the grave or the cave yeah incredibly posh like it costs um 40 euros for like a gin and tonic or something when you go in there so anyway the dare was yeah. to see if you can get into the nightclub because they normally say no to seasoners um see if you can get into it in your pants um and one person lost <laughs> and he had to go and do it and then he said oh someone do it with me so he played this game again to see who would join him and um you know in the end we all just went oh let's all just do it together so i remember us running out of our accommodation in our pants trying to get in my friend shouted oh i've got nowhere to put my wallet i was like it's 40 euros a drink you don't need your wallet we're not buying anything <laughs> anyway we got in um in our pants i don't know how you got the, in. we don't know how the bouncer we must have just been so shocked or oh, you might have been out the, um out the around the corner having a um a tab or something so missed us and we're all suddenly on the dance floor in our pants with all these very wealthy people just sat there wondering what the hell was going on the official photographer brilliantly took a photo of it and um it was back in the day you know they give you a token and then you can go to the shop the next day and then buy the picture they took yeah so i've got a copy of all four of us in our pants 
Um, Are you prepared to share that uh, for the show notes then? Uh, if I can find it, um, I will happily share it. It was back in the day when I was um, fairly, fairly um, fit. Okay, right, okay. And and how do you make an Indiana Jones hat out of parcel tape then? Well, you have to also incorporate cardboard. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> right. Um, and that that just lends itself to a to an Indiana Jones hat. Yeah, you make a trilby out of cardboard, and then to give it a, a nice colour, you and hold it together, you use parcel tape. I don't know. Oh, okay, I don't know. and you had a whip. You had a whip as well, right? Yeah, that was also made out of um, parcel tape and string. Um, oh. I found a leather jacket. I mean, it's a it's a pretty much go to fancy dress. I'm mean, I'm pretty anti fancy dress unless I've got to make it at the last minute. Um, and then I quite enjoy the, the construction challenge of it. Right. Well, that's another one for the show notes or uh, possibly to be consigned. Uh, I seem to remember uh, on the seasons that the biggest fear of anyone who was in charge of housekeeping was a fancy dress night. And they started locking up all the sheets because um, they knew <laughs> they wouldn't get through transfer day if we were allowed access to what was fundamentally the basis of um, any fancy dress, a sheet. Yeah. <laughs> there we go um uh so well i think that's pretty much the end of the show um i'm thankful to all the builders that um, didn't reverse trucks or sand down near me so i hope you get to enjoy the bird song um yeah it's good there's a text message just as, as i say that perfect timing um what's coming up in the next show ian have we got another show coming yeah we've always got another show coming um and we need to help people like wsirhc through those long summer months so i'm delighted to say that we're going to be interviewing dave riding britain's top uh skier top male skier top alpine skier maybe we'll clarify that in the interview what what gender he is yeah that'll be a great way to start <laughs> the interview hi dave uh, just been wondering uh, how do you identify um, no, I mean he's a, he's a, he's Britain's top slalom skier. He's been in on the podium there and thereabouts, very close to winning a race. So um, we'll be talking to him about what he's doing in uh, lockdown and uh, and finding out about um, you know what his life's like behind the scenes. Behind the scenes, that'll be exciting. I'm looking forward to finding all that out. Well, there we go, Ian. Thank you. Thank you to everyone for listening um, and I hope you're enjoying uh, your lockdown. It might be over soon. Maybe it'll be over by the time we have our next episode. Take care. Bye.